0: The dust blows forward and the dust blows back Down in downtown
1: blues All the pox you broke, they go and fish? The harmonious dance Ratchet buds burst A man's
0: live. The way you were dancing I knew you'd never come back
1: Hello and welcome to Track by Track presents Trout Mask Replica. Uh, My name is Joel Bakker, guest hosting for Darren Husted as we go track by track through Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band's singular 1969 album, uh, Trout Mask Replica. Uh, Just occurred to me that it's a little ironic calling it singular considering it's a double album, but you know what I mean. Uh, today we are going to be discussing Moonlight on Vermont, which is track six on the album. It is the final track on side one. Uh, this track, along with Veterans Day Poppy, was actually recorded prior to any of the other recordings for Trout Mask Replica. It was recorded in late 1968 um, in Sunset Sound Studios in Los Angeles with Frank Zappa producing. It has a slightly different incarnation of the Magic Band than the rest of the songs on the album. The other songs, as uh, other than Veterans Day Poppy, it has uh, Bill Harkle Road, aka Zoot Horn Rolo, on guitar; Jeff Cotton, uh, aka Antenna Jimmy Siemens, on guitar; uh, Gary Magic Marker on bass, rather than Rocket Morton, who plays on the other uh, Trout Mask Re- Replica tracks. The uh, incredible John French, aka Drumbo, on drums, and Don Van Vliet, aka Captain Beefheart, on vocals. Uh, length of track is 3 minutes and 59 seconds, and my guest today is uh, Allison, fellow uh, fellow library enthusiast and a librarian in training. Allison, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing all right. Uh, thanks for having me.
1: It is my pleasure. Thank you for coming on to talk about this album. So um, what, first, what was your first encounter with the music of Captain Beefheart?
0: So I first became aware of Captain Beefheart when I was in college, and for me, this would have been... Uh, 10 years ago 11 years ago something like that um in my um one of my foundational classes i don't remember the exact title but um i believe it was color theory uh the teacher uh mr cole case he's a real um i don't know he might hear this later and hear me call him the music nerd but that's what i'm gonna go with um he got really i
1: I think that's (laughs) a point of pride i think I, i would i would call myself a music nerd
0: Oh, good. Uh, like he got really geeky about things that he was really into. And so we were able to just like have conversations about a lot of um, like progressive bands that I was listening to at the time. And that would have been stuff like um, Rush, Yes, Focus, and Mr. Bungle. And okay. he just threw it out there. He's like, you should check out Captain v Park. And um, I did. And Really, I was more familiar with like the later stuff, and still, my favorite album is um, like "Lick My Decals Off," which uh, that's, I believe, '80s. I think.
1: I, I actually think "Lick My Decals Off" was uh, immediately post Trout Mask Replica. I oh, think okay. it came out in like '70 70 or '71.
0: All right, my bad. I just, yeah, but I didn't listen to Trout no Mask worries. Replica first like i didn't even know about it until much later so Uh,
1: so was lick my decals off the first one you heard
0: i think the first one i heard was ice cream for crow but uh lick my decals off is uh probably my favorite
1: it's a great album um so the uh you had been listening to to prog rock prior to that so you were used to stuff that that play and mr bungle so you were familiar with stuff that played around with forms and and musical structure and uh, was a little bit um, delved into dissonance. Um, Were you familiar with Frank Zappa prior to this, just out of curiosity, since I I hear a lot of Zappa in Mr. Bungle.
0: (laughs) The part two to this story is um, I was aware of Frank Zappa. I had not listened to anything he did until my senior year of college. I took a history of rock and roll class and our final project uh was to we were supposed to write a research paper and i think like the one rule aside from how it was supposed to be formatted was that it couldn't be biographical and our teacher mr shelton he had us pick names out of a hat and um he kept going on and on about how um, like the universe will guide our hand and we'll pick like the right name for us and um I picked Frank Zappa, and after I'd been a fan of um, Captain Beefheart for a couple of years, I felt like I had missed or I had gotten it wrong somehow. <laughs> but, um,
1: the, the universe had misguided your hand. Yes. <laughs>
0: uh, and um, that's when I became more familiar with Zappa. I ended up writing the paper about um, like, a lot of his legal battles in terms of like censorship of lyrics and um, mm-hmm. things like that. But I still... And it, this might just be because of like an imprinting sort of phenomenon, I like Beefheart more than I like Frank Zappa's work. So
1: yeah, I I came to the, to beef through Zappa. Um, I had been a guitar, uh, guitar nerd and people were, I was listening to just horrible shredder music, like, you know, Joe Satriani and crap like that. And, um, no offense to Joe Satriani <laughs> fans out there. He's a very technically gifted guitarist, but, um, Someone I can't even remember where I heard about it. Someone's like, "Oh, you got to check out Frank Zappa. He's, he's was a hell of a guitar player." And so I started listening to it, and it was it kind of blew my mind. The you know because he's using um, you know chords that I had never heard before, and and you know these odd time signatures and all this unusual musical structure. And I got to Beefheart through that, and I honestly very rarely listen to Zappa anymore. Um, Beefheart kind of took over and Beefheart led me to, to other stuff like Perubu and um, you know, bands that would uh, other bands along those lines, but post-punk stuff. Um, But I, I owe Zappa certainly for, for leading me to Beefheart and also for listening to this, doing this project and listening to this album has made me kind of want to revisit some of those Zappa albums because I hear things in Trout Mask Replica that feel to me like, zappa touches things like the you know using the recording of band members you know doing little bits or chattering with each other between mm-hmm. songs is something that zappa used a lot on his records and i don't think are on any of Beefheart's other albums mm-hmm. so what what was your initial impression when you first heard so you start with ice cream for crow mm-hmm. um how did this music sound to you because i don't one of the lines in mark i think it's in mike barnes's book about Captain Beefheart is there really isn't anything that prepares you for what his music sounds like it's and this is discounting some of his mid-period albums that are a a little more user-friendly but it it can be the experience can be can be jarring to a first-time listener
0: right and I think because just sort of where like my head was at at the time like I had mentioned like you know Rush and Yes and Focus of all bands like it was sort of exactly what I was looking for. Um, I'm trying to, if I recall correctly, this is because it is Captain Beefheart maybe a bit more grounded in like a solid, like bluesy foundation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, which is, which gave it, um, I think a little bit more heaviness than some of the other bands, some of the other prog bands that I was listening to. And I definitely appreciated that. Um, lyrically it just kind of struck me as like this sort of free like stream of conscious like it wasn't like rush where i feel those songs are very uh deliberately like episodic
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it just it struck me as more whimsical um and it was a i guess like a, a nice change like i think a lot of people say that the Like, sonically, it's very harsh and stuff like that, but it seemed to flow so well together to me. Like, in my notes, I keep writing um, the phrase, delightful tension between vocals and um, the
1: instruments. That's a really good way of putting it.
0: Yeah, like, it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't take away from anything. Like, it makes, uh, it makes for very coherent uh, musical pieces, or...
1: Yeah, I I really hate to use this word because it gets egregiously overused in criticism and and popular culture. But there is an organic quality to the way things move in Beefheart's music that the structures are are not verse chorus verse, but the way one one piece and um, Samuel Andreev does a great uh, breakdown of Frownland in his uh, YouTube video, mm-hmm. where he just he talks about these compositional blocks. And how each piece will kind of move into the next piece, and and um, that they seem to flow in a way that, like you say, there's a delightful tension, but there's it also just seems like such a natural move. Like, yes, of course, the bass would go to this part, and the guitars would go to this part. It's it it rolls in this incredibly satisfying way, which is is uh, really different from Zappa's work, where he seems to like really delight in jarring and abrupt changes like Mm -hmm. tape tape splices where it you're just suddenly somewhere else listening to something else a jump cut um whereas with beef heart stuff it's this this natural evolution
0: yeah i like that i love that like the idea of the jump cut for zappa but for beef heart it's like uh like we'll get there when we get there
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, it's a, like it's a road a,
0: trip or something like that,
1: which is so much of his music focuses on on movement and travel and, and hobos and <laughs> riding the right, you know, this kind of old American idea of riding the rails. That seems that seems fitting. He, he has for um, an artist who uh, is generally categorized as avant-garde. He has more train songs <laughs> than your than your average avant-garde. I, I don't know if um, Scott Walker ever did any train songs, although I could be wrong um but anyway the the song that we are talking about today is moonlight on vermont which if i had to pick a favorite song on this album this i might go for this one um it's it is just a fantastic piece uh what um i gave um i'm giving all the guests on this show options to pick whatever songs they want to talk about um what what drew you to pick pick this song
0: um much like yourself um this is easily, I think probably my favorite, uh, track off the album. Um, and when I saw that it hadn't, uh, like the form for this song hadn't been filled out, I was like, Oh man, I got to jump on that. So
1: this, yeah. Um, the, this song having been recorded a little earlier than the other tracks and I believe, I don't believe he wrote this one on the piano as he did much of the other trout mask music. I think it was probably from what I've, I've read, I think in the, um, is all about or Gouda's, excuse me, uh, all about jazz article that the guitar lines were sung and whistled to the band rather than uh, plunked out on the piano. It's it is a little bit more. Um, it rocks a little harder. Just to it put it in pretty blunt terms, like it, this song really comes out of the blasts out of the gate. Um, this this has got to have one of the all time great drum intros. Mm -hmm. that opening the opening beat on this track i mean if you're talking songs that kick off with drums you've got um the born to run you've got the the opening snare hit on like a rolling stone but the the opening beat on this that that announces the presence of the song is just just awesome and i (laughs) I, you know I'm, i'm my ability to come up with any kind of uh intellectual criticism of it is is blown away by just how hard it rocks and i'm going to because that's like, if I could have a piece of music that like played whenever I entered a room, like my own personal <laughs> theme music, I really feel like these these drums demand your attention immediately.
0: And I wish, uh, this is going to be like my standard disclaimer here. Like I'm not a musician. I don't know a whole lot about music theory. So um, my like level of being able to talk about this song and um, probably any song is going to be like largely like my emotional reaction to it.
1: Well, that's great. No, that's, that's perfect. I mean, I, I play guitar a little bit, but I would never say that I'm, I'm particularly versed in music theory. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm um, my response to this album is, is fairly gut level as well. And the um, reacting to the lyrics also this is um a, yet another fantastic vocal performance from from beefheart on from van bleet on this song um i always feel a little bad calling him captain beefheart i don't think he was crazy about being forever associated with that name but no. it's it's uh it's it's easy to slip into and I've, he forced his bandmates to all have ridiculous names too so i guess my sympathy shouldn't go too far if you're making a guy in your band go by the name Antenna Jimmy Siemens, then you deserve being called what what you get called. But um, the, I'm, go ahead. Sorry, I
0: was, right. I was like I was going to do my best to just call him Captain Beefheart because my main fear is mispronouncing his actual surname.
1: I think it's just Vleet. I've always Vliet. heard people say Vleet, um, oh, yeah. which is Dutch, and my surname is Dutch as well. So uh, mispronunciations are just kind of a, a par for the par for the course. With Dutch names. And he added the van, actually. His name was just Don Vliet. And he added van at some point to, for mysterious reasons. So self-redefining, I guess, which is, you know, pretty common in the 1960s. Sure. Um, So the title of this track, Moonlight on Vermont, is a play on an old uh, jazz standard called Moonlight in Vermont. And um, there's a nice recording of Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, singing it that I was just listening to the other day. And I think, I think Frank Sinatra's version is probably most commonly known. Um, but that's a very idyllic pastoral, um, you know, noticing the, the beautiful moon, moonlight on this, uh, on a, a Vermont evening. And what, what um, Van Vliet is envisioning here is something a lot, a lot more primal <laughs> and um, pagan than that this this particular moonlight on vermont is seems to be uh, affecting it it affected everybody is the first line moonlight on vermont affected everybody and it seems to be affecting people in some kind of um mass hysteria slash pagan ritual sort of way uh we get more of his his wonderful this album is populated with all these little characters that he that he references once and then kind of discards. Here we've got Missus Wooten and Little Nitty, uh, who are, and even Lifebuoy. I was never. I'm not sure if Lifebuoy is a person, um, but it does specify that he's got his little pistol toting, little pistol showing, and his little pistol toting. So whether that's a gun or a phallus, I'm not particularly sure. But the next line is that goes to show you what a moon can do. So the the moon is is. Uh, the moon's causing some serious craziness in Vermont. Mm. There's no more bridge from Tuesday to Friday, which, and everybody's gone high society, whether he's referring to it's a pun on high in terms of, of drug high, or if in, it's um, a, a, simple, a simple reference to everybody's, this, this sounds like no kind of high society that I'm familiar with other than, other than mania hope lost his head and got off on alligators somebody's leaving peanuts on the curbins which i love the word curbins here for a white elephant escaped from zoo with love which is we've we've got this surreal uh kind of in indescribable scene that's uh that is uh, initiated by the moonlight
0: yeah i had written in my notes there's um like some kind of like lunacy I guess that's going on
1: and that's that's causing
0: like causing all these like strange things to happen I had written um let me see here so no more bridge from Tuesday to Friday everybody's gone high society it seems to suggest to me that like the main statement here is that like people behave differently during the week perhaps or maybe during the daytime um so we're one way you know at work or during the day when people can see us but then it's like it's nighttime the moon comes out and there's you know that cover of darkness and we can just sort of maybe do what we've always wanted to do or be who that's we That's when truly... the werewolf
1: gets to come out.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get to be who we truly feel we are.
1: That's a great way of putting it and that's a real uh, th- that ties in with the the repeated refrain later on in the song of come out to show them, which is uh, it seems to, he seems to be incanting um, that people, you know, come out into the moonlight, come out to come out to this, uh, this lunacy. And thank you for using that word. Cause that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the repeated, the, the back and forth of come out to show them and then give me that old time religion, which is another uh, like this, you know, it's a, a gospel tune and calling, you know, a calling to calling to prayer, calling to mass. But the impression I get with Van Vliet is that the old time religion he's referring to is something much, much older <laughs> than the gospel song right, is, is referring right. to We're we're dealing with something that's very, very pagan here.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that could fit in well with it being like, um, like a sixties kind of album, um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is the. I mean, Frownland, which starts off the album, is is a call to you know come with us. Come, we found this place that's that's you know so much better than this uh, workaday world that people are suffering in. I, I found this place where my smile is stuck. Come with me. It's it's it, in a very '60s I you know kind of hippy dippy idea of finding a better place. Yeah. And uh, associating it in this song with something that it sounds determinedly pre-Christian, even though he's using a a gospel song um, as his call to arms. Uh, but as with Frownland, there's an there's an element of, and I don't know that this is necessarily intentional, but there's an element of menace to this this suggestion. Like the music is so furious. There's there's a, a quote from Kevin Corrier's book on uh, Trout Mask Replica where he, he refers to this song as blows fire, which is a really great way of describing just how f- how intensely the band is moving through this song and the guitar sounds so jagged that, um, and the scene that he's describing sounds so um, manic and frightening that it's, it's like, there's the combined suggestion of, yeah, we've found a better place and we're all going to you know go 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 out and be our true selves and but there is an unhingedness to that scene that that for me anyway lends it a little bit of a frightening edge
0: yeah absolutely it's um i think it the song as a whole forms a very nice like cohesive piece but like make no mistake this is like it's aggressive
1: <laughs> the music drops out for a second the guitarist one of the guitarists hits a chord the music drops out for a second we get another um Uh, variation on that awesome introductory drum beat and it's right before van vliet starts the the give me that old time religion chant and i've always loved that moment because whichever guitarist it is um hits the chord the ending chord so hard that it sounds like his guitar goes out of tune for a second It's like, I know that one of Van Vliet's um, instructions to his band was always play at 100% intensity. Like, you just slamming the instruments using steel picks, like playing with with uh, total ferocity 100% of the time, which must have been extremely exhausting and painful for the musicians. Oh, yeah. But uh, I've always loved that. To me, that moment sums up part of what makes this song such a, a barn burner is these guys are playing for their lives and he, he just slams that chord and you know, then the, the drum beat that, that primal uh, variation on the Bo Diddley beat that is the drums kicks back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always felt like this song uh, is a little bit of like a Rosetta stone for where Van Vliet was coming from with the music that he created for this album. That he's giving you, so much of this stuff seems so um, difficult to parse when you first hear it. I mean, the lyrics are these surreal, unsettling images. The music is, you know, there's nothing really that prepares you for what it sounds like. It's, it's something, it speaks its own language. Um, but I, I've always felt in the lyrics for this song, he's giving you a couple of points of reference and one of them is that give me that old time religion he's explicitly calling to a history of gospel and blues and you know black American music that has obviously you know suffused their sound inspired their sound I mean the magic band started as a blues band and when then leading from that into come out to show them which is a reference to Steve Reich's Um, tape piece come out which is uh, a piece that is based on a tape loop of uh, and I'm getting this from Wikipedia here um, uh, was uh, a tape loop of a member of the Harlem Six who were uh, six black youths uh, who were um, brutalized by the police which is uh, unfortunately still something that is very very um, very much uh, an issue Mm -hmm. And uh, the the statement that Reich used is one of the, the members uh, stating that in, in order to um, to prove that he had been brutalized, he's saying, I had to open the bruise up and let some of the bruised blood come out to show them. Um, and then Reich loops that phrase, come out to show them, come out to show them, repeatedly. I
0: had to like open the bruise up and let some of the bruised blood come out to show them. I had to like open the bruise up and let some of the bruise blood come out to show them 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 come out to show them
1: come out to show them going from one of those to the other by going from give me that old time religion and to come out to show them i I feel like Van Vliet is telling you this is where we're coming from we are you know we are b- born from the blues, but have this affinity for contemporary avant garde classical music. And what we're creating here is something that that is a third stream that brings these two things together. And also, in using that phrase, come out, there's the explicit connection with the counterculture of the 1960s. And um, whether it was intended or not, an association uh, something of a political association with with uh, left leftist and countercultural ideals although i read recently that reich has said something about how that piece is not political which is insane I don't <laughs> know How you can possibly say that looping the voice of someone who's been brutalized by the police is a non-political track but that's for an entirely separate discussion
0: of course yeah it's um you had said it so much better i have like two lines here in my notes it says Uh, The title with its mention of Vermont and the lyrics is proclamation of give me that old time religion um, evoke very American imagery. And if I had Mm -hmm. to succinctly uh, describe the song, I would say that it's American music.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it. um, On one of the other episodes, uh, my friend David and I were, were discussing Harry Parch and this desire to create a very... American kind of an avant-garde music that but based on American forms and I I think that part both Parch and Van Vliet um, succeeded in that but from very different angles and whether or not Van Vliet would have even self-consciously referred to his music as avant-garde I don't know but (laughs) that's certainly how it comes off. Oh,
0: um, I was gonna say it kind of feeds into some at this other blurb that I wrote Um, This is a bit of a tangent. I apologize, but here we go.
1: Um, That's what podcasts are for.
0: (laughs) I wrote, Rolling Stone called this song Abstract Expressionist, and I'll go ahead and use my art degree here and say that I agree. Um, So Abstract Expressionism was an art movement uh, that I associate most with America, although it may seem like the pieces... um, Oh, I should say, uh, so the big name with abstract expressionism is um jackson pollock if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with his work jackson yeah (laughs) so with that in mind and um how his pieces look like um they may seem like they're kind of slapdash or like the result of off-the-cuff thinking like hey i'm just gonna like throw some paint on a canvas um it was actually a lot of very careful planning that went into a lot of extra um, abstract expressionist pieces just some of them based on their sheer size um and i do think that's really like what's going on uh really with the entire album um it sounds kind of like maybe the musicians are just being let loose and we're told to improvise but um after i learned Just like how big of an undertaking this was, um, and how much they practiced and all the planning that went into it, Um, it really echoes like those same sort of values that the uh, art movement had. So it's not as simple as just we should write music that sounds like we're making it up. I guess Mm -hmm. like it's very deliberate and. maybe it doesn't seem or sound like that from the point of view of like a musician who may have been formally trained in like composition, but definitely from like an artist's point of view, it's like, yes, this is the same process that you would go through to make a sculpture or a painting.
1: That's really interesting. And yeah, I think, I mean, Van Vliet was initially a a visual artist Um and then later went back to that in his later career. I have to ask if have you seen his paintings and what do you think of them?
0: Um, I haven't seen any in person. I I've only done um, like a Google image search after I found out that that's sort of like what he was doing before he had uh, done all his music. Like I had no idea. I guess I could put them in that same category as abstract expressionists. I don't think that they're. Um, there's not a whole lot of object representation. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while.
1: Yeah. Every once in a while, they're kind of animal figures that, and they look sort of like something out of a cave painting. It's I, I he got lumped in with like the, the, um, kind of a primitive, uh, style okay. that was, yeah. I, I gather, um, I, now it, talk about not coming at something from a, a novice's perspective. I, no very I have a, my degree is in the humanities but my knowledge of visual art and the technique therein is microscopic so it's it's a great pleasure to have a, an artist on the show to, to talk about things from that perspective
0: uh yeah I finally I finally get to use my art degree and come back <laughs> to that paper that I wrote for my rock and roll uh class
1: well know a couple of people I've talked to um about this album have commented on how the music seems very colorful. And some of that is his constant references to different colors and, and like animal images and nature images. Um, But some of it is just, I think the, the astonishing variety of considering that there's, this is a very bare bones production of an album. It's two guitars, a bass and drums. There's virtually no overdubs. Uh, There's no effects on the guitars. No one's using a wah-wah pedal. Um, it's just as, uh, as bare bones as a rock, two guitar rock group can get. And yet there's this just incredible variety of sound coming out from just all of these different pieces, uh, these different uh, riffs banging against each other and, and playing in different times and polyrhythms and polytonality. It, it's uh, the... It, it's a testament to what can be done that there seems seemingly no limit to what can be done with the basic rock band format
0: mm-hmm. yeah you wouldn't think and i don't think i even considered it until you brought it up that like it's really they're a basic rock band format but like when you listen to it like that's not what you're thinking you think of or well i do anyway of like um Like if you've seen those uh, Dr. Seuss illustrations of like
1: (laughs) bikes that have
0: bells and like horns and stuff on them.
1: (laughs) It does feel like some kind of bizarre. uh, Yeah. Some, some uh, Seussian transportation (laughs) method or uh, you know, some one of his bizarre looking trees that has weird sprouts coming off of it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Even on the it's, Interesting. I never thought of a connection with Dr. Seuss before, but the the playfulness of some of Van Vliet's uh, lyrical um, flights of fancy, and even on the album cover, they kind of look like Dr. Seuss characters. The guy, he's got yeah. the big hat, and the, uh, it's you know they're all dressed in these weird clothes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's just me or maybe I'm missing something. Like when you, the very common criticism or maybe it's not even criticism it might just be a comment is that the album sounds harsh. And I guess like, yes, sonically it does. But if I step back and think about it as a whole, like for me, I get something like that's really like, like you said, like it's playful and it's susical, like it's goofy kind of.
1: Oh yeah. There's a strong current of goofy and sometimes juvenile humor that, that runs through the album. I mean, it's got a fart joke on it for crying out loud. It's <laughs> it, it, does not for as serious as the process of making this music was, it is not music that generally seems to take itself particularly seriously, which I think is maybe one of the things that it was one of the things that threw me when I initially heard beef heart. Um, Cause I was used to, at that time I had listened to, you know, some, some more out there material and I was used to stuff that, took its position as avant-garde very seriously and you know think something like scott walker who i hasten to say i like but there's very not a lot of humor in scott walker's work it's pretty harsh and um and you know deliberately very deliberately avant-garde and there the the element of playfulness and silliness in this music, I was like, well, they're just not taking it seriously, which is a very teenage thing to think because everything is, you think of everything very seriously when you're a teenager. Um, Or at least I did. I was, I was a, I was a humorless pill as a teenager, but it took me a while to come around to, to respecting that. um, This is, I feel like the song old fart at play near the end is a, is almost Van Vliet talking about his own, way of making music that all of this preparation is in uh, this amount of work put in is to basically play a prank on someone by wearing a fish mask.
0: (laughs) I believe it. Like I didn't know how like terrible the conditions were like with the band as a whole Um, in regards to like recording this album that they were all like living together and Mm -hmm. like, being sleep deprived and stuff like that until I had listened, um, to the earlier episode that you sent me. So it seemed like, like they're working super hard at having fun, I guess, or some strange contradiction there. And I guess that results in what I had called like the delightful tension, I suppose, between the music and, um, the vocal recording. Um, yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange brew, I should say.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm totally going to steal that phrase, "delightful tension," because that that sums up the album so perfectly. Um, and yeah, it was it's this wild, uncompromising music created by people at the you know kind of at wit's end in the hands of someone who was was treating them much like a cult leader. I mean, more than one person in Mike Barnes's book about Beefheart describes the, the situation as Manson oh, wow. ask, okay. uh, which is exceedingly disturbing. Um, mm. But that, yeah, in the, in the process created this album that's full of life and vitality and humor and, and uh, joy is the, the tension there is, is, is ex- extremely strong. I also, the, in terms of tension, I love how on this particular track, when it gets into the old time religion part, Van Vliet's vocals are slightly off the beat. Like he seems like he's sort of wandering over the, the bars without, you know, sticking to, um, like coming in on the one on each, on each beat, which may partially have been because he evidently refused to wear headphones and just (laughs) sang along with what he could hear from the recording, the glass, um, Recording room, um, the glass of the recording studio, I should say, but I've, I've always loved that because that, that gives a, that gives the song even more tension that he's slightly off and it gives his vocal performance that feel of like he, of, uh, the, like the call frantic, frantic, frantic. And also like, he's calling you to this, um, to this Bacchanal he's he's the the Barker who's come out you know give me that old time religion and he doesn't care that he's not even close to being on beat he's just uh proclaiming it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah there was a line or two that I had written in my notes um where is it here it sounds whatever it does sound like the mixing is just a little bit off like everything didn't quite line up in the end and um I wrote that I find it doesn't bother me. But I think that gives it a more of an what you had described earlier, like that organic quality. It's like, yes, there is a composition and lyrics that we had all planned out. um, And here is at the end, just a little bit where I think passion and emotion are going to take over Mm. past what we had planned out. And like, we're just going to go a little bit off the rails here. Like, not too far, but just a bit.
1: Yep, yeah. That, I get some of that, too, on, on other tracks when he <laughs> will start playing saxophone. Because it's... I mean, even those who adore Beefheart, as I do, tend to be a little on the fence about his saxophone playing, which was quite, quite clearly from a place of not really knowing how to play the saxophone in any traditional sense and just sort of blowing air through it and moving his fingers around at random, which he, he himself would have admitted, um, that all of a sudden within these incredibly structured tunes, there's this absolutely randomized element where I I genuinely don't think he had any idea what was going to come out once he put that horn to his lips.
0: Yeah. And in a way, well, I would assume like that was the point it's like I don't know what's going to happen. Like everyone, stand back. But I want this moment or like this instant of spontaneity to be recorded and to be a part of this art we're making.
1: I, I remember someone saying that about. Um, I don't know if you're you're familiar with Perubu at all, but uh, with Alan Ravenstein's synthesizer work in Perubu, that it, it was this element, this somewhat randomized element of not having any idea what was really going to be coming out of that instrument. At any given time, and just kind of working with it. I I don't know that that's entirely fair to Ravenstein. I think he had a pretty good idea of what he was going to produce, but the the end result is uh, for the listener is you're on the edge of your seat because you see because you have no idea what's what is going to come out of that thing. You have no idea what's going to happen next.
0: If there was a consideration for the audience, I had, I did not think of that at all when I was preparing my notes.
1: I get the feeling with, with the trout mask stuff. I I don't know. I don't get the impression that the thought was, the thought was for the end listener over much. Like I, I feel like Van Vliet was delighting in being able to ba- do whatever he wanted in terms of making this music. I do think they probably thought it was going to be successful, um, partially because uh, Zappa had already gotten quite successful making music that was, um, that was outside of standard listening fair. The idea of making this music and thinking that it could be a hit is, is funny to me, Um, (laughs) but you know, stranger things have happened. Um, Not much stranger, but stranger, (laughs) but yeah, I don't get the impression that there was a lot of thought going into what kind of reaction the audience is going to have. It was, I think it was a pretty hermetic environment of, of them playing for themselves and, and uh, delighting and creating this, well, him, him delighting and the rest of the band suffering through creating <laughs> this music that, that was unlike anything else. Oh, uh, cool. Do you have uh, anything else that you want to say about this track?
0: Uh, let me take a look here. I think maybe we've covered this already. The only other note that I have here that I think we didn't touch on um, is when I tried to write a little bit about what I could tell about the music Um, So I wrote, delightful tension in the music versus the vocals. It's almost like the voice, which is frantic and upbeat, is dragging the instruments heavy and fatigued. Like, come on, we're almost there. It's swampy, yes, but the attitude and overall mood seems to be one that is divorced from what I would consider traditionally bluesy themes.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I know John French has said, um, I think it's in the Gouda's article, that as much as blues was clearly an influence on the Magic Band, if you isolate out any of the the music from the album, and you know, the individual parts, there's not really a lot of blues parts. Like, there's not much that sounds like a blues guitar line, even though they're using slides and, you know, overdrive and traditionally bluesy sound. Um, other than China Pig, which is uh, kind of uh, a seemingly improvised blues jam, uh, but I like what you say about dragging the instruments behind. That was the the um, the way he's slightly off the beat, as as we were discussing, does kind of feel like he's rushing ahead and mm-hmm. telling you know trying to get the like come on catch up. We we're <laughs> like you say we're almost there. Uh, we got to get we got to get to this. Um, this event this this moon moonlight lunatic uh, (laughs) experience that we're we're exhorting people to come to yeah all righty let me see let me check my notes here and see if there's anything that i am forgetting oh i always forget to rate the songs darren always rates the the songs um i i said in the first episode i'm not really gonna rate any of these less than five out of five just because I don't feel like it's, you can really compare this music to anything else. It's, it's just so utterly its own thing. Um, this song is a personal favorite on the album, possibly. And this is often the song when I have to, when I'm trying to introduce someone to Captain Beefheart, this is often the song I will play for them. Cause I feel like it gives you a feel for how um, harsh this album can sound, but it's, it also just, it rocks so hard in a traditional way that I feel like if they can, if they can get used to this one, then maybe, you know, I'll then try them on one of the the harsher tracks.
0: That's how you you reel them in.
1: Yep. (laughs) So yeah. uh, Would you like to apply a rating to this track? Uh,
0: So the scale, it goes up to five. Yes okay um as previously stated this is probably my favorite off the entire album and i'm gonna go with you here this is for me a five out of five and like i did write a small note that like this is probably the most accessible track that's on the album
1: um it's certainly one of them yeah
0: yeah and this would be i imagine like the single that tricks mass audiences into buying it and then it turns out to be a whole different journey that they go on
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it's um a lot more harrowing than it might than it might initially appear from this track although i mean the guitars are are right up there in your face uh with that slashing trouble so it does give you at least a hint that you know this is not always going to be a pleasant a pleasant journey
0: mm-hmm
1: So, Allison, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Do you have anything that you would uh, like to plug?
0: Um, Yeah, if I may. In the spirit of this music, which is polyphonic and sometimes disjointed, but also very organic, um, there's a band that is based in Denver that I quite like. Um, They're called Itchyo, I E T C H Y hyphen O, Um, they're actually a little bit like the magic band, I guess, if they were more grounded in like, um, like a science fiction narrative, maybe. Interesting. (laughs) So, yeah, if you want to check them out, um, live music has not been what it has been, uh, lately, but sadly, yes. Yeah. They've got some cool stuff out there, so.
1: Do uh, you happen to know if they have a band camp or anything like that?
0: Uh, They do, yeah. Um, Everything's probably linked to their main website, which is just itch.io.com.
1: Okay, I will uh, make sure that that link gets to Darren so he can include that uh, with the additional information uh, with this track, with this this episode, I should say. Okay, Uh, if you want to follow Track by Track on Twitter, it is at underscore Track by Track. If you want to follow me on Twitter for some reason, I am at joel a bacher that's bacher with two k's i'm also that on instagram um which i post on much more than twitter because twitter's a nightmare um instagram is mostly just pictures of my cat so if you like looking at cats go for it and uh thank you very much for listening don't need
0: your new give me that old time religion it's good enough for me
1: Moonlight on the mind.